Father of the faithful, friend of God, a man who beheld the wonder of the cosmos and the beauty of the creation. Abraham, the father of the house of Israel, filled with righteous desire, overcame a troubling and painful upbringing to change the course of history. Through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As Abraham made covenants with God, God made promises with Abraham. That covenant has been duplicated in perpetuity upon all who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and make their own covenants with him. I invite you to join us today in our study and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Me. In order to get out of a rut, I pray, I read my scriptures, I visit the temple. I also enjoy serving others. When I feel depressed or like life is becoming boring, there's a few things that I do. One is I start singing hymns that lifts my spirit, gets me going, gets me in the mood to read scriptures and, and do other things that will lift me out of the rut. Even though I'm going through hard things, I still like to have gratitude and be thankful for all the good things that are going right. And I like to think about the positive. We've got a prophet of God on the earth and 12 apostles. And every six months they give us great counsel and, and they never fail to tell us we need to spend time in the scriptures. We need to spend time on our knees and time in the temple. Welcome everyone, thank you for being here. Today's discussion topics come from our studies of Genesis chapters 12 through 17 and Abraham one and two. And the first topic we're gonna discuss is who was Abraham? And the second topic is the Abrahamic covenant blesses me and my family. And to help us with our topics, we wanna welcome back James Goldberg. Welcome James. Oh, it's so nice to be back. James is an author, poet, and historian. And seated next to James is Gay Strathern, our special guest. Welcome, Gay. Thank you. Gay is a professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. Before we get into our first topic, any thoughts that you had overall on what we've been studying this week? You know, I love studying Abraham. I think that there's, he's just uh, such a powerful figure. And I love the relationship that he has or develops with God. And one of my favorite verses in all of the discussions of Abraham is one in chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, which says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And then God says, for I know him and he will command his children and his household after him and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The thing I love about that is God knows him. And the word know here can mean know him in terms by an acquaintance, but it also has the sense of covenantal knowledge. I know him because of the covenant that we have and we want to talk about that. But one of my hopes is that one day God will be able to say of me what he says of Abraham, that God knows me and has confidence in me that I will do the things that he has asked me to do. And I think that's just a really powerful, it gives me a lot of hope uh, in possibilities. For me too, reviewing this, it, it did feel a little closer than it has sometimes. I like the stories just as stories, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, this is where Genesis kind of hits a stride, but this time studying Abraham and thinking about what he was going through, I ended up really thinking about my wife in ways we, we might get to later, that, that connection, these experiences are also things we can relate to. 
Okay, well, on that note, why don't you go ahead and, James, do you mind giving us just an intro to who he is? Yeah. If you think about the book of Genesis and the children of Israel who first would have told and heard these stories, right? The beginning with Adam and Eve and the creation is like a map of the, the universe and our place in it. And then you've got Noah and all those begats after mm -hmm. Noah that we skip over are kind of <laughs> like a map of the world. The, the names of descendants are the nations around them. It's at Abraham that we get in close and say, this is, this is who you are. This is your family and this is the land you live. Okay, Gay, let's uh, give us, uh, for the viewers out here who may not know a whole lot about Abraham, tell us about him. So Abraham, um, we don't know anything about his mother, but we do know his father was Terah. They lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. We don't really know a lot about why God chose Abraham. You know, why him? Of all of the people on the earth, why him? And I think the, the book of Abraham gives us a little bit of an insight. Uh, number one, it tells us that Abraham in the pre-mortal life was one of the great noble ones and that he was chosen um, in the pre-mortal life. Um, and then the other thing I think that the book of Abraham does a really nice job of is helping us see that Abraham was a seeker. He was very actively engaged in wanting to have a relationship with God. But then he says, but I wanted more knowledge. I wasn't, he wasn't going to rest on his laurels of where he was. I wanted more knowledge so that I could be a greater follower of righteousness. I think that that's a really important aspect of him. So clearly he was raised in a wonderful home where he was taught all these things. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, you know, not it's, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting because in Genesis, you get this brief sense he's, he's from one place and he leaves okay. and he goes a different place. We get that extra layer in the book of Abraham from the Pearl of Great Price, which is consistent with a lot of stories you have in Jewish tradition that say Abraham's dad didn't see things the way he does, right? He, he worshiped idols. Mm -hmm. There's various stories about Abraham when he was young being a potential sacrifice. So with Abraham, he talked about he sought for the blessings of the Father. He was trying to find this happiness. Where does that come from when you're raised in this environment where, you know, his father was going to sacrifice him, you know, not, you know, kind of, and yep. it really adds to the story of when he becomes a yep. father himself. But, you know, idol worshipers, how does he rise above that? Well, I think we get one clue that might, might give us some insight into this in verse 31. The records of the fathers, and again, notice the pluralness here, uh, even the patriarchs concerning the right of the priesthood, the Lord my God preserved in mine own hands. So at some point, Abraham gets hold of the records that's talking about these kind of things. And he's uh, apparently drawn to it and it energizes him. And he's, uh, he's reading his scriptures. That's where he finds out about this. There's a, a better possibility than what I'm experiencing now. That's amazing. I wanna see if the audience members, can you think of a situation uh, in your life when you've had to overcome some sort of adversity to seek for something better? Kai, go ahead. So this is actually just recently. Um, at my high school, we did, I do theater there. We did three different events in two months. And me and my cast members, we really had to rise to the challenge because usually we've had like three to four months, but we couldn't control it. And so might as well go for it instead of just kind of dragging our heads down, accepting our fate. We just wanted to, you know, really hit it head on. You know, I, I like how you said that. In that situation, give me a couple options of what could, what are the two choices you were facing at that time? 
a lot of people were just fo- thinking about giving up. Um, but then there was me on the other hand and a lot and a few others that were just like, you know what, might as well just give it our best because I thought as long as I'm giving it my 100%, it could be the worst production you've ever seen. But if I gave my 100% to it, I'd be proud of myself. Thank you for sharing that because it really goes to show you how much uh, we have control uh, with our agency to dictate the outcome of situations even when they are not the most ideal. As far as Abraham goes, where does he fall in line with exercising his agency in the choices he's making that have benefited generations. When he was on that sacrificial bed, um, he could have been thinking, what have I done wrong? I've been trying to be a seeker and I end up here. In that pivotal point in his life, the Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to, to look after you. He trusted him that that would happen. And this is long before the covenant mm. comes. He's having these kind of experiences. And I think that basic trust is just so important. A lot of times, even when, when things aren't good, they're familiar, right? And so it's easy to hold on to what you know. You've got to have that extra faith and trust to be willing to follow a promise into the unfamiliar, which is what Abraham does. I love that. And let's see if we can find a real life situation of that that we can relate to. And I want to ask, when have you had to put your trust in God, not really knowing what was to come? Gail. Uh, in 1985, uh, I sold my business uh, after I found out I had a, an employee who was embezzling. And so I had no idea what I was going to do with my future with a family of five children. And I totally got on my knees and says, I don't know what to do next. I know you do, but I don't. And in a matter of 18 months, I was hired by an insurance company promoted to regional vice president, moved to St. Louis, which was the greatest experience spiritually for our children and our family that we could have ever anticipated. Wow. How hard was that to take that risk, not knowing what was in your future? Deep inside my soul, I've always had confidence that if I trusted in the Lord, that the right thing would come out, whether I recognized it or that's what I wanted that it was going to work out the way he expected it to be, and I should accept it. What does that look like for you? Was it a, did it just kind of make sense, or along the way, did you feel like, okay, I'm being pushed in this direction? What is the process like for Gail in in, in receiving that revelation to move forward? Peace. Peace. Just a solid confirmation of peace that this is okay. I love that. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there, but it's going to work out because this is, this is what's supposed to be. What a great example. Can I just add something oh, there? I, I think this is a really nice place to talk about covenants in general, right? We often talk about uh, covenants being a contract between two parties. In a spiritual sense, when one of those parties is God, then the emphasis on the contract is the relationship between the two parties. God is expressing to us his eternal trust in us. Even though we live in a very imperfect world and we're very imperfect ourselves, a covenant is God's way of saying, I trust you. But on our part, a covenant is also about us learning, relearning what it means to trust God and that he loves us and he wants his best for us. So it's our first step to God saying, even though I don't know completely, I'm willing to tie myself to you. I'm willing to start to learn how to trust you in this life's journey. 
So, uh, Gay, I'm curious with, with everything that you studied and researched in regards to Abraham and his covenant, how has that changed your covenant relationship with our Father in Heaven? It means that I'm on a journey um, and I recognize that uh, I am a very, very imperfect person and I make mistakes all of the time. But it's that sense of hope that God isn't going to give up on me, even though I make those mistakes, that I can navigate um, mortality knowing that I will be learning by the mistakes I made, but God is there loving me, encouraging me, hoping that I'll reach out and put as much trust in Him as He has in me. That's beautiful, thank you. How about you, James? It means a lot to me to be part of the family of Abraham and this idea that we're, we're all connected and on a journey together. You know, one of the, the most important covenants I share is a marriage covenant with my wife. And I'd mentioned earlier that this time reading the book of Abraham, I really thought about her. Earlier in her life, she was in a really bad marriage where she just felt like she couldn't live with dignity. And she thought, I've, I've got to get re-anchored, right? I've got to, I've got to seek for that that righteousness like Abraham did. It's really hard when you put so much energy into something and a bad marriage can be one of those when it's over um, to let go and move on. But, but I think of when she decided as a single mom, I'm gonna go back for more schooling. I'm gonna move again and seek this greater future, not knowing how that's gonna work out. But this time for me, I really thought of how that covenant journey that she embarked on, right, ended up transforming my life later. So I think part of the lesson of Abraham is that connection where we're not alone, we go out on a limb, and that's not, not just you you're affecting, it's all these people around you and this web of relationships as we connect to each other and to God. I'm glad that you talked about your wife because one of the things I think is really important, we talk about the covenant of Abraham all of the time, but there is no covenant without Sarai. Right? right? And and even though she doesn't get mentioned all of the time, she's as just as important a part of this covenant as, as Abraham is. Is there any significance to the fact that her name was changed as well as yep. Abram to Abraham? Yes. Yeah, so in the ancient world, a change in name often indicates a change in status Okay. with both Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. Uh, they're, they're making a, a conscious effort to indicate that something is changing in her status. And Sarah, princess, right? She is becoming a princess as part of this covenant. So it's not just about Abraham as a prince of peace, but it's Sarah as the princess uh, in this covenant. I do wish we would use the word matriarch more. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we think about what it means to be a patriarch. Right. And even if you didn't have a dad, you can get a blessing from a from a patriarch, um, but matriarchs are super important in Genesis. And, and Sarah's the first, right? The prototype of a line of matriarchs that we'll study. I'm excited to explore that a little bit more in our next topic. This has been a great discussion about who was Abraham. If there was a place um, where I could choose to build a temple, it would be somewhere like Melbourne, Australia, or Moscow, Russia, or like any of the cities near both of those two. Fillmore, Utah. Fillmore needs a temple because, you know, it's right off I-15. I got one in Pocatello and that one just opened, so that was the big one right there. But I would love to see one in China. 
Uh, all we have there is a big Maverick and a Costa. So we need to bring all the people that stop for gas, go to the temple. <laughs> My favorite temple is the Washington DC temple. That's the first temple I ever went to. The Manti temple. That's where my wife and I went to be married and sealed for time and all eternity. My favorite temple is the Orlando temple. It's the one closest by. It's the one that I usually go to. So our second topic we're going to discuss today is the Abrahamic covenant blesses me and my family. The Abrahamic covenant is something of such significant importance, but I think it's so often misunderstood. And so can you give us just a brief overview of what is the Abrahamic Covenant? Yeah, so the Abrahamic Covenant basically describes a series of conversations God and Abraham have, where there's okay. that moment of encounter and God will make promises to Abraham. And sometimes he'll also ask Abraham to make some promises back, right? Okay. So some of the Abrahamic Covenant is, is unconditional. It's God just saying, I'm gonna bless you, here are some things that will happen. Other parts of the Abrahamic covenant, there's, there's a little bit on the other side, where God says, here are things I expect from Abraham and his descendants as, as signs of this covenant. And Abraham doesn't learn about the covenant in total in, in the first meeting. He's learning about it piecemeal as God directs things to him. So like, for example, in chapter 12, He's going to learn some of the things that are important that God is promising about land and the, the blessings of that. He'll bless those who bless him or curse them that curse him. So he'll be with him. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it's really important to understand that the Abrahamic covenant isn't just about one person and a specific lineage, although it is that. But that covenant is always meant from the very beginning to be something that would bless all of God's children. So um, there's blessings of it, to be sure, but there's also responsibilities. Part of the promises is going to be his posterity, that he will have them as I, the stars of the heavens. I love that image in chapter 15. God takes him out and says, look up there. <laughs> look at those stars, right? And then in, in verse five, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. I kind of love being a star. Um, and part of that, part of that multitude, right? Looking up in the sky and, and feeling that belonging that's in this moment between God and Abraham. And because Abraham sees, isn't just told, we read, and he believed in the Lord. Now that word believed here, in, in the Hebrew, it, it has a stronger sense, I think. Abraham trusted God that this, would, this could happen for him. Um, and then it says, and he God counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. And I love that word counted. It means that God imputes righteousness to Abraham because he had that kind of trust. Paul's going to pick up that big time when he gets into Galatians <laughs> and Romans. But this idea of, again, of seeking righteousness, well, the righteousness isn't just what Abraham does. The righteousness is what God gives Abraham yep. because of the trust that he has in him. Okay, so how do we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, take these promises and really internalize them and make them make sense in our daily worship? Okay, so I, the one that I'm interested in, that he's going to be a great nation and this idea that he'll have lots of seed, 
you know, as a single person in the church, I have uh, kind of struggled with that a little bit. So how does this Abrahamic covenant apply to me? And, and I have to tell you, when I was 17 and I received my patriarchal blessing, uh, one of the things that it said was, the day will surely come when a righteous priesthood holder will desire to take you to the temple and that you will become a mother in Israel and you'll have this opportunity of raising children and all of those kind of things. And I have to admit, when I was 17, I kind of didn't really think too much about that because I was thinking, duh, of course, that's what's going to happen, <laughs> right? But then it didn't. Um, and it didn't happen um, when I was in my 20s. And it didn't happen when I was in my 30s. And I started thinking, well, hang on a minute. Where's this promise, God, that you have made to me? Um, and I, I felt that I wanted to claim it, right? God, you promised me. Where is it? Um, but it still didn't happen in my 40s. And then I started having, you know, some of that negative self-talk that we sometimes have in our heads. Um, is there really a God? Can I trust patriarchal blessings? Does he know me? Aren't I righteous enough like everybody else who is having these blessings? And, uh, and this was something that I really, really struggled with. And honestly, um, there came a point where I had to ask myself, and again, it's a self-reflection, Gay, do you believe that there is a God? And I had to answer to that, absolutely, I do. Well, how do you know that? Because I have felt his love in my life. I have many times been encircled in the arms of his love. And it is just, if there's nothing else that proves to me that there is a God, it's those personal and powerful experiences that I have. And so my question then to myself is, so can you walk away from that? Or are you going to trust in God like Abraham, trust that the promises of God are sure, Trust in him that his love for me is eternal, even though I make mistakes, even though I don't fit into the perfect mold, but he believes in me. He has bound himself to me. And I don't know when those promises will come, but that's where this trust comes in. And I'm hoping that like for Abraham, God will impute that righteousness to me because of my ongoing trust in him. That's great faith. I love that. And it's not always perfect. Sometimes I have dark days, right? <laughs> and I think, but if we're walking before the Lord, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's that choice you made is I'm still walking before the Lord. I'm, I'm staying in this relationship. You know, learning for ourselves is one thing. Teaching others, you know, especially those that may be a little bit younger about the importance of the Abrahamic covenant and how we can strengthen our relationship with Heavenly Father, strengthen our relationship with the Savior. I wanna talk about that. We had a question from one of our viewers and I wanna get your thoughts on that. Hey there, I'm Mike from Sugarland, Texas. My question is about the Abrahamic Covenant. I think the Abrahamic Covenant can be a daunting topic to understand. So my question is, what about the Abrahamic Covenant, if I understood better, would help me and my family in our daily pursuit to live more like the Savior? Okay, so here's a question. How can the Abrahamic covenant help my family become like the Savior? What are your thoughts? I'll say on social media, sometimes we joke, what are we angry about today, <laughs> right? And I think we live in a time period that can be so focused on the moment. And for me, it is really helpful to tap in to something ancient. Um, 
that's still present. And, and the Abrahamic covenant of, of descendants and of blessing the nations just has a different time scale, right? So I think if you're trying to become like the Savior and not get caught up and pulled away by the moment, um, but really be planted and bless people, the Abrahamic covenant is one way to, to remember how we're connected and to, to stand firm in those promises that give us a better, broader perspective. Yeah promise through thee, Abraham, and through thy seed, me, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so for me, it's a kind of a question of what can I be doing to bless those around me? It's not just what Abraham was doing, but what's my personal responsibility? And I like how you said that it's, sometimes I feel like with the Abrahamic covenant, it's all about what am I getting? Yeah. versus what's my responsibility. Right. Okay, we're going to turn to the audience uh, for thoughts in regards to the Abrahamic Covenant. Dave, please. Coming from the perspective of a convert, when I first learned about the church, it was probably the most exciting moment in my life. And first there was the Book of Mormon, and that was just a blow-you-away experience. And then on another occasion, the missionaries showed up and they had another book in their hand. It was the Pearl of Great Price. I was a 27-year-old young man and now I'm learning about things I hadn't heard of as a, as a kid growing up with an Irish Catholic father and a Swedish Protestant mother. I was confused. And here were coming all these answers, particularly about things pertaining to who am I? What's my relationship with God, with my Heavenly Father? And the answers were coming from my study of Abraham and Moses in particular. And all of a sudden, that awakened my interest in the Old Testament, which I never wanted to study. And then the next thing I was anxious to do was begin my pursuit of genealogy, of family history research. Because I wanted to know, who do I come from? And learn about my relationship going back and the promises coming forward. I'm excited about my posterity and the application of the Abrahamic covenant, not just to me, but to my family and those promises it brings and the blessings that come from the temple and all that we receive because of the restoration of the gospel. Thank you so much, Dave, for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Other thoughts on what we've been discussing today? Natalia, please. One of our main responsibilities within Abrahamic Covenants is ministering and doing missionary work. So when families do ministering and missionary work, they become more like the Savior because they're given the opportunity to teach as he taught and love as he loved. That's a great comment. I like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on anything that's been said so far? When I was 12, we moved across the country. My dad and I drove fast in the U-Haul to get there. We had a new baby in the family, so mom and the other siblings were going slower. And my first night in this new place, our U-Haul got stolen, right? So I remember walking out to get something in the morning, and my dad found me when I was standing with the key next to the empty parking space, going like, I swear we parked here, right? So it was the ward that took us in 
that offered us that hospitality. And really, like for my first month in this new place, I was wearing clothes other people had given us. There were some problems closing on the house. We were living in somebody's basement. And that was a time where I really felt that familial relationship that as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we're also a people, right? And, and we care for each other. And it, it meant so much to me. It meant the world to me. Uh, to be served in that covenant. Okay, so we hear about becoming part of this covenant. How does that work? I mean, because you, you talked about you're kind of treated like this family, right? They just took you in. Now, with the Abrahamic covenant, how does yeah. one become a part of this family? There's kind of two ways, right? We believe firmly that God doesn't forget a covenant. And so for people who are descended from Abraham, so say the Jewish people, right? God still remembers that covenant. He has that covenant with them. The Book of Mormon extends that. Mm. It kind of breaks it open and says, look, these native peoples who lived in the Americas, who at the time the Book of Mormon came forth were really deeply oppressed. God hasn't forgotten you. So there's certainly that element. There's another element where we're recognized and, and adopted into the family of Abraham, right? This covenant works both ways. Once you've made a covenant with God, God never forgets, right? Regardless of where on. you came from, your yep. background, he says, okay, you're, you're now in. You're part of this now. Again, I wanna ask you uh, on, a, on a personal level, how has your understanding of the Abrahamic covenant strengthened your relationship with our heavenly father and with the savior? There are lots of different ways that that happens, right? Over time and different situations. But I think I have to keep coming back to this trust um, and this feeling that I am important to them. It's not just Abraham and Sarah. It's me, right? A number of years ago, when I was a BYU student, there was a forum. The speaker at that forum was a guy by the name of Abraham Kaplan. He was uh, Jewish and he was an American philosopher. And uh, he said something that has changed forever the way I think about covenants and my experience with um, that. And he's quoting a Jewish rabbi and he says, in our scriptures, and he says, and I assume as yours as well as Latter-day Saints, we find this phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then he asks this question, why that repetition? Right? Wouldn't it just be easier to say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Isn't it the same God? And then his answer was because it was important to Isaac that he couldn't just rely on his father's covenant. He had to make that covenant his. And the same as it was for Jacob. It didn't matter in some respects that his grandfather and father had made the covenant what was really important was Jacob going to make that covenant. And so as I thought about that, in some ways, it doesn't really matter to me that God made a covenant with Abraham and Sarah. The really important question that I have to ask is, am I willing to accept the covenantal invitation from God? Um, and that's what's going to change my life because that's where I'm going to have those personal experiences of knowing that I am real and important and loved and trusted by him. And so that makes me want to not just have him bind himself to me, 
but wants me to bind myself to God and his son and to strengthen those bonds over times as I have those interactions with him. Wow, uh, that, was, that was beautiful. I'm excited to jump into the footnotes portion where we can discuss some other topics a little further. One of the questions I had when I came here was how does the Abrahamic covenant fit into my life? I wanted to know how I can use it to help others and get closer to God myself. My question was, does the, those promises and covenants of Abraham apply to Christians only or Muslims and Jews as well? And the scholars are able to answer me quite clearly that it applies to all. I think it was really cool to learn about Sarah and her role in the Abrahamic Covenant. And it was just, it's really cool because I feel like the Bible does such a good job of establishing matriarchs. And it's really, really cool and empowering to read about these women um, and the trials they went through and the times where God touched their lives. And it's it's beautiful and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and relating that to our own lives. Yeah, and relating that, it's really cool. <laughs> Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes, where we get to dive in a little deeper into some of these uh, topics with these chapters. Now, something that's challenging about this show is that we have so much to talk about, and a lot of times there's not a lot of time to do that, right? After we finished taping, one of the audience members came up to us and asked us a question. He asked us, who is included within the Abrahamic Covenant? And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. First, let me say, I think that's a really important question and one where we've got important beliefs that were restored as part of the restoration of the gospel. Because, of course, we believe that, that we're part of the Abrahamic covenant through ordinances and, and covenants and, and gathering things, <laughs> right? But we're not the only ones. One of the really poignant lessons of the Abrahamic covenant to me is that God does not forget his people. And so any people that he's had this historical relationship with, a covenant doesn't just go away, right? It's, it's forever, it holds on, and it's still there, it's available, it's on God's mind. The Book of Mormon has several references to this. Uh, in 2 Nephi, chapter 29, verse five, there's an interesting moment as Nephi's seeing this vision of the future and what's gonna happen with the house of Israel. He's sort of shocked, and there's this conversation with the Lord about it. And this one verse says, O ye Gentiles, have ye remembered the Jews, mine ancient covenant people? Nay, but ye have cursed them, and have hated them, and have not sought to recover them. But behold, I will return all these things upon your own heads, for I, the Lord, have not forgotten my people. You remember that the Abrahamic covenant said, those who, who bless you all bless, and those who curse you all curse, right? In a lot of Christianity, there was the sense that after Jesus Christ, there's no point anymore right, to people keeping Jewish traditions, the Book of Mormon rejects that, right, and says instead that, that these are still God's people. So, uh, James, and I hope you don't mind, but given your background with both your parents, what does that mean to you on a, on a personal level? It means a lot to me. You know, family history is, is a big deal in the church, and I love family history and looking for stories of ancestors. I don't know a ton about my Goldberg side because everybody got killed in World War II. My, my great-grandparents had left before then, and I know a little bit about them, but, but that whole world, right? Not just that a few people died, but the entire world of 
of Jewish life in Romania, where they were from, was eliminated. And part of the roots of that violence are people who assumed that God has no use for Jews, right? And, and by the time Nazis were saying it, they were saying it in more secular terms too. And, and science, their, their broken ideas about science as well as religion had gotten involved. But definitely in my family history, there are real concerns about this issue. And so to read in the Book of Mormon that, that this people wasn't replaced, that, that even if there have been lots of people who in the name of God have persecuted the Jews, God himself in the Lord's voice says, no, no, this isn't what I wanted. These are still my people. I still remember them. I'm still watching over them. And, and it just means so much to me to know that, that that line of ancestors in all that they passed through over centuries were not alone. What does that teach us about God? I mean, one thing it teaches us about God is that God isn't going to give up on us. We're not going to make the best choices in our lives. No. Our kids aren't going to make the best choices in their life. I think knowing God's sort of stubborn persistence, right? <laughs> That's part of his nature, and that means something. I, I think it matters to me, too, to know the amount of faith I place in my covenants is increased when I know that even if I walk away, they're still there on the table for me to return right. to. Well, thank you for sharing that. Gay, uh, how about any insights on who is included in this and in the yeah, in this covenant? I, th I think in the story in Genesis where we have Abraham, uh, we put a lot of emphasis on Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and down along those lines. But there are some kind of points in even in the Genesis account that show that this, this covenant is larger than that particular lineage of the family. So one of the things that I really like here is I think about the story of Hagar and Sarah, and you know that's that's a complicated, prickly story uh, at any level. But one of the things that I love here is when we see God does not forget Hagar, even in the difficult situations that she is, and He's also kind of saying, "Look, Hagar, your seed is also going to be important. Ishmael is going to be important." And as the angel talks to her and uh, reassures her. He's saying through Ishmael, many of the blessings that were given and we know best from the Abrahamic covenant, we see that they're also given to Ishmael. He's also going to become a great nation. He's also going to be princes and, and those kind of things. And I think that that's something for us to, to think about when we're trying to see the expansive nature of what this Abrahamic covenant is all about. Instead of focusing on who's excluded, yeah. well, I'm in the, you know, I'm a part of this covenant. They're not. We should be more who is as a part of this. Yeah. And as Latter-day Saints, that's, that's a central part of what we're trying to achieve through our faith is bringing together the family of God. And so the more we can say whenever we meet someone, you're my cousin, <laughs> right? You're my cousin. Tell me about your lineage. Yeah. Tell me about the promises God has for you. Tell me about how his power has been manifest in the lives of your ancestors in your life the power you feel in those traditions. 
I think that's a key message of the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. And there's much that we can learn from that in those conversations. I'd like actually to go to the New Testament for a little bit and just look at some of the places where John the Baptist, Luke, even Paul are thinking about this Abrahamic covenant and how it applies to them and their situation, right? So I want to start in Matthew chapter 3, and this is the famous story of John the Baptist, and he begins baptizing. Um, in verse 2, it says, uh, John is preaching and he's saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now in Greek, that means, the at hand means that the kingdom of heaven is right now in the process of becoming fulfilled, right? And so if you want to be a part of that, you should repent, right? And so he's preaching there and he seems to be actually quite popular in some levels. But as we go to verse 7, uh, while John is baptizing in Jordan, and when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to the baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, generation of snakes. It's not a good thing, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he's talking here about judgment, right? And then he says, bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. So what's happening here? People are hearing that John is talking about the kingdom of heaven is coming. And we've got people from the Abrahamic covenant who are thinking, oh, if the kingdom is coming, we have, we have a right to that, right? And John is saying, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Just because Abraham is your father, right? So verse 9 Say not within yourselves, we have Abraham to be our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. That was a really bit of a kick in the pants, right, for, <laughs> for them. But what he's saying, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. What I think that that means is he's saying, prove to me that this covenant is yours, that you've made this covenant yours, right? When I read this, I kind of want to hold up that spiritual mirror right? Mm -hmm. And say, okay, if John the Baptist came today to you, or if you went back in time to his baptism and he came up and said, uh, John, I'd like to be baptized. I'm a little nervous, right? In terms of how he would respond. Would he say to me, oh, gay, you generation of vipers, <laughs> right? Um, or would he recognize in me somebody who is imperfect, who's trying to live the covenants that I have made in baptism and the temple? And would he see in me potential that maybe is something is a little, not a little, a lot unrealized at this point? And that realizing that Christ has come to earth, condescended here to help someone like me? So knowing that I'm not there, but I want to be there, um, how would he respond to me? I hope that it would be the latter, right? But it does make me think, am I living that second great commandment? Uh, sometimes we divorce it from the Abrahamic covenant, but I think it's a really, really important part of that. And I think along with that, right, we can, can look at these Pharisees and Sadducees and say, oh, they're, they're claiming Abraham to a father. But it's really easy to say, I belong to the one true church. Yes. <laughs> and that's it. And I think in an age of doubt, right? Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we feel like the point is faith, right? We build up testimony and that's the, that's the end. We join the true church, that's the end. But no, 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 no. That's the beginning. Right. And then faith should lead to repentance. The, these works of Abraham are what help us realize the covenant. 
And whenever we get confused and go, the important thing about me is that I believe, unlike those other people over there who don't believe or who believe differently, yeah, yeah. We, we've missed the point. So my, my point with that, that I always think about this, while it's really, really important to make covenants, ultimately the test is, are we going to keep covenants? Are we going to live covenants? I like, I like that for to live, live those covenants. Yeah. I like that a lot. So when Paul, if we kind of shift over to Paul, he's kind of dealing with situations uh, with Jews versus Gentiles. Of course, Paul was one of these people who thought this covenant belonged to everyone, right? But not everybody agreed with him. But when he writes to the Romans, there's some really interesting stuff here. We're in Romans chapter 9, it's verses mm, 6 through 8. Paul is talking about Jews or members of the house of the Israel who think Gentiles shouldn't be part of the church because we're the chosen people, right? We're the covenant people. And this is how Paul responds. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise accounted the seed. I think that that's what John is saying when he says to the people, prove to me. Just because we are descended from Abraham, and, and, and I don't misunderstand me, that's an important aspect, but that's not all there is to the covenant. And again, I hold up that spiritual mirror. If Paul was to come to me, would he say to me, not or, or to us, not all Latter-day Saints are really Latter-day Saints, <laughs> right? Covenantally. Right. right. And so it makes me to think back again, I've made the covenants. What am I doing with the covenants? I think it's interesting too, when you think about Paul, that it is important to him. Some people have interpreted him as saying the most important thing is just to have faith. But he really does want to say, if you join this church, you're part of a family, yeah. the family of Abraham, right? It's not just whoever believes. It's it's that, that belief in accepting this promise makes you a child of promise, makes you, makes you part of a family. And I think that side is really significant too, that we want to live these covenants and realize these covenants and they, they need to bind us together. There's something very real and very tangible yeah. about being a, a part of the family of Abraham. So, okay. so can I just, sorry, just oh, no. jump in there, but I was just thinking about that. Um, one of the things that I love, in my life, covenants are fairly individual, right? Because I don't have the family mm. around there. Well, I have family, but not, you know, immediate. But I love going to sacrament on Sundays. Um, and I think COVID really helped me appreciate this more because I didn't get to go. There was probably about three or four months that I didn't get to partake of the sacrament. There was no one in my home who could do it and things like that. So the opportunity of to come back to church and to be able to renew my covenants at the sacramental table, but not to do it as an individual, but to do it shoulder to shoulder with all of the members of my ward. There's something that I learned here that, that, that there's power in not just the individual covenant, but in this communal process where I'm doing it with others and that we're on this same path and we're working together and we're trying to do better 
Um, but it's communal, it's not just individual. I had a really similar experience coming back from COVID, even though we'd had sacrament in our home, but being back, there's something so tangible about breaking bread together, mm. yeah. right? And familial about that sacrament meal. We had a very close friend in the ward who'd been my daughter's nursery leader and who'd given us advice on different things. <laughs> there was one time uh, my son had said to my wife, you're the best mom in the world. She said, no, no, I'm not the best mom in the world. And he thought and said, you're right, Sister Brown is. <laughs> Sister Brown is. So, so this is the Sister Brown I'm talking about. And she'd passed away during that time when we weren't at church. Mm. And one of the first sacraments back, just watching her daughter, who's about uh, 12, just put her hand on her dad's back. Mm. Something about that really hit me, yeah. right? And, and the way that when we... We break bread, Jesus says, we're anticipating when we'll, when we'll be able to break bread with him again, with loved ones and with people we've grown so close to. That meant a lot to me. Yeah. With the, how you guys are speaking about the, the beauty that exists, you know, when we make covenants together, when we worship together, you think sometimes we get bored? Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I mean, some, really, because the reality is, it becomes this, I think sometimes we feel like the church is too involved in our lives and, oh, I got to go do this, I got to do this. So how do we get past that and really see the beauty of making covenants together? I've joked with friends before that for every person who leaves the church because they think it might not be true, there are two who leave because they know they're bored. <laughs> and, and I think it's a real human struggle. In yeah. some ways, our... Our minds take things that are routine and, and sort of <laughs> try to cut them out, right? The way that sometimes you're driving somewhere and you don't even realize where you're going. And you end up you're, there and you're like, wait, how to get here? Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. And that routine can sort of eat up some of the most precious parts of our life mm -hmm. if we don't find ways to reawaken the sense of wonder and reconnect. So, so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I'm agreeing with it. Okay. And saying that this is a a genuine dynamic within covenant life. Right, because the way you spoke about it, man, I was like, that, that's beautiful, I want that, you know? And, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I wonder if there's uh, people out in the audience that are watching, they're thinking, I, I don't have that. How do I get that, that same experience? It's, it's gotta be something that we're not passive. Mm. It's gotta be a finding a way to be actively participating in it. Because I, I, have, I certainly have those same experiences, right? Um, and, and I can't say that every Sunday that is my experience. But on the days when it is, um, that's really, really uh, just... My, so, for example, there was one time I was just called to a, a new calling and um, everything was happening there and I didn't have any idea what I was doing, right? But I was going from meeting to meeting to meeting and the whole, the whole Sunday I didn't have time to stop and um, take a breath even. A day of rest. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, but that night I took my dog for a walk uh, and it was dark and it was just him and I and we were just wandering the streets in our neighbourhood and all of a sudden there came over me this just overwhelming feeling that made me want to rejoice, even though it was only me and the dog, right? 
but wanting to rejoice. And I was trying to, you know, wanting to yell out and go, the gospel is wonderful, it is great. Well, that doesn't happen to me very often. And I thought, well, why did it happen that night? And uh, the only thing I can come up with, because that day I was totally invested. It wasn't about me. It was about the kingdom and being a part of it. And even though I'm just a very, very small cog in the wheel, feeling a sense of belonging and need and participation and even ownership of this, I think is something that I always strive to kind of rekindle. I'm thinking too of the, the phrase that Gay had read from the Apostle Paul talking about being children of promise. If we can remain open to the promise that in all of this, right, the sort of mundane, boring parts in the grind of it, that God can reach us, he can give us those gifts. And we'll have moments when we can receive them. That won't be every moment, mm. but we live from gift to gift. Yeah. My sister has struggled with periods of really deep depression. And she said it's so important for her to take those moments, however simple they are, and kind of file them away and treasure them away because sometimes it's gonna be a long period, right? In a deep depression, it's hard to feel the spirit. It's hard to feel that rejoicing, but she doesn't give up on waiting for that, that moment to come again. So I don't think the goal of religious life is to have that experience every time. The goal is to be a child of promise, who's ready to receive it, and who holds on to the promises in those troughs, those in-between times. I have a personality <laughs> where there is always something in a given week where I'm gonna go, that ain't it, <laughs> right? Like we're all trying and there's some silver and some dross and this is the dross. And sometimes it's something I said and sometimes it's something I heard. If that's all I focus on though, I'm gonna have a much harder time than if I create those practices of discipleship that keep me alert and open to having other experiences. And I think that that's, we bring that back to Abraham, right? That he wasn't just a follower of righteousness, he had this desire to be a greater follower of righteousness. And that's something that, I, you know, we can't just rest on our laurels. We can't rest on the fact that I've been baptized or that I've been on a mission or I've been to the temple, as important, critically important as those uh, activities are. But it's that constant, we all have plateaus, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that, that desire for something more. Be a seeker. Yeah. I want to thank you guys for your insights and for your comments. This has been, it's been enjoyable. That it's been such a joy to talk about these things. I'm excited to go back and learn more about the Abrahamic Covenant and how I can be more of an active participant in that. For those of you watching, if there's anything that has stood out to you um, that you felt prompted to do, to act, uh, we would invite you to take the courage uh, and to follow those promptings. Thanks for joining us. Please come back next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.